On this episode of Mastering MS, Nick, we're going to learn a lot about you. i got a lot of questions for my dad. That's right. We've told you that Nick's dad has had MS for 50 years, and John Irons is joining us on the podcast this week. Are you worried? Oh, <laughs> should I be? We'll find out. <laughs> Welcome to another Mastering MS podcast, and Nick, we have a, a really fun episode today. We're actually in your parents' basement right now. Yep, we're here with with my parents. My dad is right here to talk to us, and my mom is off the side making sure that the video looks good. And your dad, for 50 years, has had MS. Exactly, and he's really the reason why I got involved in not only this podcast, but with MS and the whole cause. So, yes, I'm looking forward to talking to him. All right. Well, Dad, welcome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Here he is, Dr. John Irons. That's his official name. <laughs> We're going to call him Zach. Yeah. <laughs> so talk about, you know, you've had it for 50 years. You got your MS diagnosis back when there weren't any type of treatments. You know, I was lucky enough to have 20 different treatments out there. Take your choice. We'll try all these different ones. You know, talk. take us back to when you got your diagnosis and just, you know, how that played out and what you were told. Well, you know, being a doctor put me in a little bit different situation than a lot of people. I had access to books that now, thinking back, I were quite old. The first thing I did is went to the bookshelf and get out a book and looked at multiple sclerosis and it said that you should expect to be ambulatory with help for seven years. And you then should expect to be bedridden for seven years. Wow. And then you should expect to be dead in seven years. And so I had a 21 year life expectancy note that I read, you know, not a cool diagnosis to get. And there wasn't any medicine out for it, nothing. And then when, when Nick made me come out of the closet, that starts in a whole nother segment of, mm -hmm. of, of my story, I guess. Like so many people with MS, you know, I wasn't out there. I didn't want patients of mine to think that I had a disease that was going to make me incompetent. There weren't really a lot of role models out in the, for the public to see that had MS that were achieving things. So I kept really quiet and yeah, you know, I was making up stories. People would ask me, oh, do you have a bad back? As I was maybe walking a little bit clumsily and I would always just tell them, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's what's happening. And then when Nick. Told us he was going to do his Mississippi swim for MS. And then I was going to be standing on the bank of Mississippi River in Minneapolis on Good Morning America. That was probably a time for my patients to know that I had MS because they were going to be seeing me on TV. And so that's when I started to let people know. And then shortly after the swim, Avonex came out. I don't know, remember if Beta Seron or Avonex were first out, but. I think Beta Seron was the first. And then that's the other was. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I was able to get on one of the disease-modifying medications. You started with relapsing remitting, right? Correct. And that lasted for the majority of your time with MS. I think that's probably right. You'd have random eye thing. You know, I got to a point, I got to a point, obviously you can hear me talking now, that I kind of stopped paying attention to what was happening. I had got to a point where it was just happening. But thinking back on it, Nick, I don't know if you remember this or not, but I was, I've been thinking, you know, there were all those days way back when, probably even before I was diagnosed, I went, I went skiing and, and I would fall down and I tried to get back up again. 
And all of our friends, the people with us that were skiing, when they fell down, they just popped back up again. And they, I was told, hey, put yourself this way on the hill and put your poles, plant your poles in the ground and push up off the pole and you can get up real easy. I never could pull it off. And it, I wasn't a complete weakling. I was you know, just a normal person who just seemed to be having this really hard time getting up after I fell down skiing. And as I think back on it now, I wonder if that was a very early sign and never figured out sign of MS. And later on with your skiing career, yeah. my parents chose places to go where they could drop us at the ski hill and they could go play blackjack. You found a great alternative. <laughs> Their skiing career ended at the blackjack table. You, you know, I want to ask you, too, you were talking about, you know, some of your first signs. Obviously, we know a lot more about the illness, a lot more about how it shows up in so many different ways. So how long did it take you to find out what you have? Was it, you know, a long period of just trying different things, guessing different things, or did they kind of get right to the MS diagnosis for you? Once I started having double vision and got my eyes looked at, it was pretty obvious at that point. So it was from that point on, I started looking backwards and you then can start spotting some things. But in the early stages, it was semi-annoying. Yeah. But I don't know what to say. This is a long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> really a long time ago. You know, and obviously we talk about today and you can have kids, you can have the family. And you did all that and, you know, you had the diagnosis and... It didn't stop you from being a dad, being part of your kids' lives and everything else. You know, I want to share that perspective with folks, you know, having a family and also having a diagnosis like this, which and sometimes can get in the way of that. Well, I just have to say, it's not like we played catch and that was more because I couldn't <laughs> throw and catch the knee. <laughs> more so than his MS. Well, you know, it was going to the, going to the soccer games every, every weekend to watch the kids. And well, double vision was one of the early things. And I remember I had to put a patch behind one of my lenses to help me not see double, but it still helped, did not prevent me from falling in a ditch now and then. You know, I could very easily end up on the ground because there was yeah. an obstacle I didn't spot correctly, okay? Mm -hmm. But it was too much fun to be going to see the kids do this, that, and the next thing. I learned to play golf, or I tried to learn to play golf in, in high school. <laughs> Tell us I about this. went to get my learner's permit. And oh, wait, 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 wait. So we went golfing at the golf course that was close by our house in Oklahoma and I drove the the cart mm -hmm. and it was just, just the two of us. I'm driving the cart and Nick's golfing and inside the, I mean, the cart, you know, has a roof on it. So you can't really see the clouds. You can't see above you. And Nick would put the tee in the ground, put the ball on the tee, swing and hit it and bend over and pick up the tee and make no attempt to see where his ball went. And I was sitting in the cart with the roof. Okay, I couldn't see where the ball goes. I mean, I couldn't see, period. But the, call, the roof on the cart didn't help it any. And I would turn to Nick and say, so where'd it go? He says, I don't know. <laughs> so then fast forward, he goes to get his, tried to get his driver's license and they tell him he needs to get his eyes examined. We, <laughs> we find out that Nick really needs glasses. So he wasn't looking for the ball because he couldn't see the ball. And I wasn't looking for the ball because I couldn't see, I could see two balls for a while, maybe. 
So about but, four holes out. Well, that was my golf career. <laughs> that's okay. You've, you've done, you've done a lot since. Yeah. So. <laughs> since golf wasn't your calling. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about that lovely thing I did, the swim down the Mississippi. So, and obviously you were a big part of that, not just motivation, but also helping us make it happen. Tell me about what you remember when I first told you I was going to do it. A little bit of disbelief. I don't know why. A whole lot of, oh my God, thank you. Oh, so what can I do? And the whole family took that position, actually. It must have been a proud moment for you because, you know, your son was willing to go out there on a national stage and, and raise awareness. I could really never get over it. Okay. I mean, it was was so huge. It was just another episode of Nick and the rest of the family just really being really nice to me. And it was really important in my life, I guess, because as I said it was it pushed me to be kind of public about having MS. It enabled me to talk to a whole bunch of other people with MS. We were getting phone calls and I was taking most of the calls. And so I got to see or, or listen to people tell me about, about their personal stories. And I got to see the breadth of variability of MS. The one person who, one person goes, goes blind for several months. Yeah. Another person falls a lot. Another person, this, that, or the next thing. I mean, it's, it's, it reminded me back of in medical school and where we were told if you've seen one case of MS, you've seen one case of MS, meaning that we're all different. I would have to alter that by saying that my family can now spot the gate of a person with MS from across the street. So there does become a little bit of similarity, but we're all extremely variable. But going back to the swim, it was a big undertaking and it was really, really neat. I mean, the whole family was involved. Nick's doing all the swimming. He's doing all the heavy lifting, I guess you'd say. But Andy in a little boat ahead of him, giving Nick something to follow down the river. He took his summer to do that. John took a break from his economics work and worked the website back before there were websites. And Andy would send an update every week and he'd put it on the, on the web. And you are, you are a travel agent along the way. He was in charge of calling little hotels in little towns along the Mississippi and say, you know, that the guy who's swimming in the Mississippi is doing it for me. So can we get a couple of hotel rooms for a couple of nights? You were, you were quite the travel agent. Well, kind of a little bit of a, a lot. Everything. Yeah. Did a lot of the hotels know about it when you called them? Did they, did they hear about what Nick was doing? Yes. A bunch. Of, yes. Everybody. That's um, awesome. I remember Connie saying people have had a real hard time not listening to somebody calling saying, hey, I'm the mother of that guy that's swimming down, down the river. And people were really nice. And, you know, and I think this is a great story of one thing we talk about here on the podcast about the importance of family. You know, when you have a diagnosis like this and the help and the support you get from family. And it sounds like for you, that, that's been a huge part of you doing so well with it. Oh, huge. Whether he wants it or not. Whether he wants it or not. <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> I chose not to say that one. <laughs> you know, with family members and, and those who support you, what do you think some of the most important things that your family does? I know it's, they just do it for you, but for others, you know, maybe listening, saying, how can I support my loved one who has MS? What, what are some of the ways, uh, the top ways in your, in your mind that someone can start helping their, their loved one who's, you know, getting the diagnosis now? starting their journey. Be kind, help, but don't do everything for them. Just be a good, good human. That's it. Be there for them. Yeah. They don't have to swim major rivers or bike 10,000 miles. 
Because you know what my family would say if I even asked them to do that. <laughs> so there's a couple other avenues I want we want to go down. The first is it would have been so easy for you at different times just to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to stop working. I'm going to not be a doctor anymore, but you're late 70s and you're still working. So tell us a little bit about that and your decision just to keep going. Well, I never actually ever considered checking out. I'm such a good time working. I'm having such a good time taking care of people, helping them feel better. And so the thought of not doing that just isn't there. I found a way to to do what I need to do to get there, to see everybody, to take care of them. And I think if I didn't, I would probably turn into a, a, a wad. You know, I would just probably sit in a chair and not do anything. So for everybody out there listening, keep doing your life. Your life is important. Keep doing it. And mess will just, yeah, it'll be there, but take it to work with you. You know, as, as I, I, I get through the illness, there are things I learned that, you know, I, I listen to my body more. There are a lot of things I find myself doing that I never did before this. The, are there any changes or ways of thinking that may have changed for you, you know, as you've, you know, gotten further along this journey, things you may have changed that at first you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. And, and then you've kind of had a change in heart. I'll probably to enjoy today, but in terms of not doing this and not doing that, I can't identify anything. Oh, I, I stopped bowling. <laughs> I was never good at that anyway. So. <laughs> wrong for me. My brother did that as a sport in high school in Oklahoma. Uh. So, <laughs> and I use the air quotes for sport. <laughs> Sorry for all you bowlers out there. <laughs> so one thing that has been a big part of your life with MS recently is the fact that the VA has been so helpful to you with MS. Tell a little bit about how we came to the realization that you were able to get some assistance in different ways from the VA because of your MS. That, that's a real, almost hysterical question because, I mean, I never knew that being in the army, I was in the army for two years that being in the army made you a veteran when you get out of the army. I always thought that being a veteran was like retiring from the military. And after we did, after Nick did the swim, Connie and Nick met with, did you meet with the PBA at that point? Yeah, the Paralyzed Veterans of America. Right. And at that point, they were meeting with Connie and Nick to see if there was something that they, as two organizations, could do to help each other. And at one of the meetings, one of them said, gee, too bad your dad isn't a veteran, and too bad he wasn't in the military. And they said, well, he was in the military for two years. And they said, what? And so that's how it started. And that's how multiple sclerosis is a disease that, because it has quiet starts, which it's in existence in our bodies, years before it's diagnosed. So because of that fact, the VA recognizes multiple sclerosis as military acquired. If you have a disease when you're active duty, that disease can become something that you qualify here for to the Veteran Association. They have an eight-year look back, meaning that if you get a diagnosis, anytime within the first eight years of you having been separated from the military, that that is counted as a coverable illness. So finding all that meant that I would qualify for some assistance from the VA. And the PVA was pretty much there not to 
toot their horn, but we're going to. They were there to help you with all the paperwork and all the craziness that it takes to get qualified for something like that. So they they were incredibly helpful, not only with the paperwork, but helping you figure out exactly what you qualified for. Exactly. And they've continued to be very helpful. When needed, I'm mean, going through the 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 paperwork and knowing who to call, what to do is is very complicated. And it's nice to have, you know, the help from especially groups like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah, it's been it's been huge for you. You you obviously got your diagnosis at a time when many people like yourself, you decided to stay quiet about your illness. So something you didn't want to talk about. But now it's come to a point where it's a different day and age. People are comfortable talking about it. a lot more people anyway are comfortable at talking about it. Talk about seeing that change over the years. Obviously, your family playing a big role in that because your son going out there raising awareness for MS. So people are more willing to come out and, and talk about having the illness. What, what are your thoughts just seeing that change from when you got your diagnosis to now and that stigma kind of going away? Oh, uh, that's huge, but it also is the change from having one or two drugs available to having 20 drugs available. And so the, getting the diagnosis today is completely different than getting the diagnosis 20, 25 years ago. I mean, there's just more things available. The disease doesn't progress as much as it did before. But I'm a member of a, of a group of people who medicine doesn't have all the right answers for or they don't have answers for. They don't know what the older mess person is going to need or how medicines are going to work them or what's the, uh, the, the course of the disease because there weren't many of us around back then. And I think the world, or at least the U.S. in general, has gotten more open about people with disabilities of any kind. I think people realize that somebody has something they're dealing with, whether you can see it or not. Everybody's dealing with something. So I think that the country has become more open to people with disability over the last 50 years. So it's just a different time from when he was first diagnosed. Well, that takes me back to the early stages as well, when... I was realizing I was going to have to come out to all my patients. And I didn't know how to deal with that inside myself. I didn't know what to do. And I talked to a family friend who for years had been keeping quiet about a medical issue that she had. And she told me what what her issue was. And I thought, you've been keeping quiet all these years for that? I mean, (laughs) come on. Okay, so I, I had that experience as being on the receiver side and realized, hey, you know what? People probably are not going to just start looking at me differently because I tell them I've got MS. She told me her health problem. I didn't look at her any differently. And that was a big help to me to feel comfortable about actually telling people I've got MS. And if they look at you different or treat you different, are probably not people you want in your lives in, in the first place. 100%. Yeah. 50 years ago, you got the diagnosis. We've talked about that. So what was, you didn't have many treatments. So how did you manage your MS? I know Nick's talked about the role exercise has played and how, you know, what, what you have got him into, you know, doing more of the personal training and that sort of thing. So how did you attack, you know, the MS when it comes to, you know, your own way of treating it, I guess, lack of a better term there. First, I think you mentioned at one point that you've been working out at a gym since 1980. That's a, Wow. That's you know, that was before gyms were the what they are now. So you've been working out for a long time. Yeah, I've thought about that. I mean, that's that's when the official diagnosis was made. I just got into a gym. I've, I've been, I've seen this kind of gym and that kind of gym and the next kind of gym. I've seen this kind of a trainer, that kind of a trainer, the next kind of trainer. Uh, There's only one son trainer. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one 
the and you last, can't beat the price. The Actually, last, you paid a lot for it, so you're just getting your money back. <laughs> the last trainer you'll ever have. So we have, there's a couple of questions we ask all guests. So the first one is, is there anything about your MS that you are happy about or has been a positive aspect of your life? Does anything good come from it? I guess that's oh, another clearly. In today's world where there are some folks that maybe aren't as compassionate as they should maybe be, I've been able to fuck a bunch of people in my daily life who are really kind to people. I've been able to see that the that we humans are good folks. And that's been really neat. I, I, I really like that. What would be your advice to someone who's newly diagnosed? You know, they were where you were 50 years ago when you got that diagnosis. What would, for somebody today, just getting that news, what would your best advice be to them? Oh, be very grateful that you are get, being diagnosed now and not 50 years ago. The world and the MS world is different today than it was a long time ago. You can find something in your life, you can find a whole bunch of things in your life that are really fun and that you can continue doing them and you should continue doing them. And it's not a big deal. Nice. And the last question that we usually do is, is the reason for hope for people with MS, either newly diagnosed or somebody who's had it for a while. Well, as I mentioned, since 1980 to now, the drug arena has changed dramatically. The reception of the disease has changed dramatically. It's a much better deal today than it was days ago. I think we end the podcast with all the embarrassing stories you can tell us about <laughs> yeah. Nick. How about that? Where, where, where do you well, want to start? You heard the you heard the golf one. <laughs> How long is this supposed to go? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And, you know, I've heard so much about you and it's great to, you know, hear your story. And thanks for sharing it with everybody on the Mastering MS podcast. My pleasure. Who needs an expensive studio full of equipment when we have my parents' basement? That is right. Just a great time, you know, getting to know your dad. I'm still waiting for the embarrassing stories, Nick. I still think I need to return the favor and talk to your interview your mom. Uh, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> no, just a great time. And your, your dad's an awesome guy. And, and I thank him so much for choosing to share his story. And as, as we mentioned in the podcast earlier, and he said, talked about it, he first opened up on Good Morning America. So what, what an amazing story. That's where he came out. If you want to know more about the Mastering MS podcast, go to our website, mastering.ms. Until next time, I'm Nick Irons. And I'm Mike Marillo. And this has been the Mastering MS podcast. <laughs>